If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and I'm the pastor here. I've been officially the pastor since April of 11, but I've kind of been here since August of 2010 in, in a preaching format. And so I preach on most Sundays, and it's my privilege to uh, do that, at least for another year and a half. And it's, I've reached the age where it's time for me to hand the torch over to someone else. So um, our board, and just to kind of update you all, our board is in that process now, and they have... Uh, they asked your input on characteristics a couple of weeks ago, and, and you all have done that. And uh, did I tell you they first had a list of 36 characteristics, and I told them that person does not exist. And, uh, but they narrowed that down to 10, and that's a little more uh, feasible. And so they're meeting with our district superintendent, uh, where in our denomination has some leadership over the churches in southwest Ohio, Nazarene churches. They're meeting with him on Tuesday night, and they'll take another step forward. Uh, in that process. So that's a slow process, but it's continuing. And uh, we'll update you when we think there's something, when there's some information to give you. We are talking uh, today about uh, 2024 and beyond. We're talking about the future uh, today. I don't have a crystal ball. <clears throat> I'm not a fortune teller, but uh, I do know some things about the future, and really, you do too. Um, the future depends on what we do in the present. Now, that's an overarching statement. That doesn't mean that I'm going to leave here today and, and somebody's going to turn out in front of me when I'm making a left turn or something, and that doesn't mean that I caused that. But in an overarching way, the future depends on what we do in the present time. Um, year and a half away from retiring, and my future financial comfortability, how comfortable we are in the future, uh, has, is dependent on what we've done in not only, probably not in the present now, as much as what we've done in the past. How comfortable our retirement will be depends on me and Sue. You know that. It depends on what we've done. That doesn't mean that in what we've done is going to eliminate cancer from coming or um, eliminate heart disease from coming. Uh, we're not, not talking about that. But I'm talking about largely uh, if we will be able to enjoy our retirement and go to Florida when we want to and put our feet up and not have to just live off of our Social Security check, that was dependent on what I did, what I do. So proud of my <clears throat> son Christopher, who four, five, six weeks ago came back from working six months in Wisconsin and living with his aunt and uncle and didn't have too much expenses and came back with a boatload of money that he made for six months. And one of the first things we did is walk down to Mike Reed's office and he put in $6,500 to max out his Roth IRA. Do you realize at 21, if he does that every single year, how comfortable? he will retire. And that will only be because of the choices that he made. We've, we've said a hundred times, I'm not preaching on money today, it's just an easy example here, but we've, we've said a hundred times that, that as Christians we, we operate on 10, 10, 80. 10% to the Lord, 10% to yourself, and live off of 80% of your income. You'll retire extremely comfortable. If you start that early on, now if you start that at 55, 
Well, if you start that early on. So the future that we have, and I've used financial examples, the future that we have largely depends on what we do in the present. I met a guy the other day <clears throat> with my hand raised now. Had a $1,300 truck payment. If he would somehow buy a vehicle that he has a $400 truck payment and then he puts that $900 a month away for retirement, do you know how comfortable he will be in retirement? The future we have largely depends on the choices that we make in the present. And, and I, I can make a lot of other examples other than financial. You've, you've seen families. You've seen families and you, you've observed marriages or observed parenting or something and, and you've said something, probably not verbally, made going within the head, you said, oh, they're heading for trouble. What were you saying? Because of choices they were making right now, you knew there was going to be consequences in the future because of that. Abraham Lincoln said the best way to predict the future is to create it. And in some real way, we do create our own future. Again, not the individual things that were happening. I, I mean, I didn't create my prostate cancer that I had four years ago. Uh, and, and if that reoccurs and some little bit of prostate cancer gets out into my body, I, I didn't create that. Things, things happen. As I've quoted to you a hundred times, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. But behold, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Now, we all know examples of two-pack-a-day smokers, and they created their heart disease. What we do in the present time largely creates who are you laughing at? <laughs> the future I have on the tennis court or the pickleball court has largely been created here. And because I no longer have a future on the tennis court, I may have a future on the pickleball court because of this. Can I tell you this morning that God has plans for us but our life is not planned out. Our life is not planned out. Um, uh, every little decision that I make has not been planned out. Uh, there's evidence of that all the way through God's words. But he does have plans for us. And, and some of you know where I'm going here. Jeremiah 29, 11, he tells the people of Israel that, of the plans he has for them. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in a future. Uh, that's the plans that he had for his people. Now, his people have made a lot of poor choices that God didn't want them to make. You all have plans for your kids. You have plans for your grandkids. You have plans for your life. But because of choices that we make, a lot of times those plans don't work out as much. Our choices really, really matter. 
I, my 2024 and beyond, my future, it's, is, is largely dependent on the choices that I make now. We, there's a sign down across from the speedway as you're heading, as I'm heading home out um, to the north end of town, and it's right across from Speedway, and the guy that owns that sign charges us $75 a week, and every now and then I put something up there that has something to do with what we're doing, or Kinsey, or something like that. So uh, if you've seen that sign, it, it's on it now. It says that your 2024 will be determined by the choices that we make. Our 2024 will be determined by the choices that, he, that we make. Then underneath that, I have Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And many of you know that. It's one of the most widely quoted verses in all the Scripture. And this verse is, is, this, these verses are all about choices. Because it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, depending on your translation, submit to him, acknowledge him. And then we get the promise. That's a choices path. There's three choices in that passage. Will you trust? Will you not lean on your own understanding? And in all of your ways, not Sunday morning, or excuse me, I say not only Sunday morning, in all of your ways, Will you acknowledge him? Somewhere, Colossians 3, 17-ish, somewhere along that, it says, to give glory to the Lord in word, thought, and deed, and all that you do, honor Jesus, and all that you do. And when we talk about living a, a, a life entirely devoted to him, when we talk about living a holy life, uh, the, the biblical word is a sanctified life. That's what we're talking about. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and then the promise comes he will direct your path so as I trust and as I lean not and as I acknowledge him in all my ways those choices that I make greatly greatly affect my future and he will direct my path. and and God directing your path isn't that what you really want okay I know we want a lot of things I want, an entire, I want a retirement that we can go to Florida three or four times a year and not have to worry about the expenses of that. I, 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 we want several things, okay? And, and those, those are all good. But isn't the overarching thing that we want that God is directing our path? That God directs our path. That's the number one thing we all, as Christians, it's hard for me to imagine a Christian that would say, this is not the number one thing. That, in, that God would direct all of my paths. And he promises that he will do that, at least in that verse, as we trust, as we lean not. And isn't leaning not really hard? <laughs> and we need grace to be able to do that. And we acknowledge him in all of our ways. All of our ways. Let me tell you a little story. This morning about eight o'clock in my office and I signed up for a conference that I'm attending in March. And so I went down to pay the registration fee and it says the uh, registration fee for this three-day conference was $149. But it said it had a student rate for $99. 
And so my brain did exactly what your brain would do. Well, how would they know I'm not a student? And then I thought, how would that be acknowledging him in all of my ways? How would that, be, that lie, how would that be, igno- I saved 50 bucks. In the long run, big deal. How would that be acknowledging him in all of my ways? So this concept that, that we largely create the future that we have and our future depends on the choices that we make, this is a biblical concept. It's not an Abraham Lincoln concept. This is a biblical concept. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Now, we constantly say that in a negative way, but that's a positive and a negative. If I sow bad stuff, I will reap bad stuff. If I sow good stuff, I will reap good stuff. We always say, well, better be, be careful in that, you, you know, what you... What you, what you sow, you will reap. And we say it as a negative, but it's positive as well. They said, God, God cannot be mocked. I could not sign up for a $99 thing and expect God to honor that. He cannot be, he can't mock God. What a man reaps, a man reaps what he has sown. So I, I, I sow good choices I make good decisions, I trust, lean not, and acknowledge in all my ways, then I'm going to reap good things. Galatians, the next verse here, 6, 8, gives you an example of that. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh, their sinful nature, their earthly stuff, from the flesh you'll reap destruction. But then it gives the positive. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So so this is not an Abraham Lincoln quote. This is a biblical principle. This is a biblical principle. And every time you saw somebody, a young marriage, a young family, or every time you saw somebody sowing bad seed and you said, oh, the future's not going to be good, you were simply repeating Galatians 6-7. It's a principle that God has put into this world for believer and non-believer alike. The non-believing farmer who sows good seed will reap a good harvest. Now, it's not, obviously, for the non-believer, we're not talking about eternal things, but this is a law God has put into this universe. You remember that the God had rescued the Israelites. They were in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. They were slaves for 400 years to Egyptians. And God saved them from bondage and was going to take them to the promised land. And so they, had, they, they, they marched through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Okay? And you, and you remember the story. They marched around for 40 years. If you look at the map, literally... If you look at the map, it should have taken two or three weeks to get to the promised land. But because of their disobedience, if you know the story, they marched around for 40 years. Joshua 5, 6 says this. 
The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who over military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. And God promised them. If you don't do what I'm said, you're not going to make it to the promised land. And so they, they, they walked around basically in circles for 40 years. I, 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 don't, I don't have a biblical verse for that. I believe God wanted them to go straight through. But because of their disobedience, they walked around 40 years. For the Lord, next verse, swore to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not going to give it to you if you won't obey me as we go through the wilderness here. And, all, and, and they did not get to the promised land until all those men of military age died off. Our choices matter. How many times have you heard me say that in 13 years of ministry here? We, we largely can predict the future by the choices we make in the present. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, we preached a series on that over a year ago, and, and we weren't able to finish all of Hebrews 11 because it got to be Christmas, and, you know, I'd get fired if I don't preach Christmas message probably. And so I, I had to, we had to go something else. But I didn't get to this verse, which says Hebrews 11:24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you remember that story? Moses was born a Hebrew, a Jew, Israelite. And at that time, Egyptians were worried that the Israelites were getting too much in number and they were killing all the babies because they're, they're getting too powerful and they're going to overtake us. And so Moses' mom and dad loved him and they hid him in a basket. And they hid him in a basket strategically in a place where someone would find him and maybe adopt him and so he could live. And you remember the story. Who found him? Pharaoh's daughter. She was bathing in the river. Pharaoh was like the king of all of Egypt. And so M Moses was taken into Pharaoh's house, a little Jew, taken into Pharaoh's house and raised in royalty. But when he had grown up, but when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And so verse 25 says, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, deci he decided I'm going to be who I am and who I am is, the, is, a, is a, uh, one of the God's chosen people, one of the Israelites. And I'm not going to grow up here. I could grow up here and live in luxury, luxury and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, the writer says. But he chose... He refused to be known. And so by faith, by faith, Moses refused. Um, this was a choice that affected the rest of his life, wasn't it? He refused to let other people define him. Now, that's a big overarching thing I'm going to say today. I teach preaching class and I'm starting again on tomorrow night. I try to tell preachers it's, it's the best way we can preach is we have, we have one big idea that we can just try to hit for 30 minutes. And My big idea today is, is Moses refused to let other people define him. He knew who he was. He was of the people of Israel. He was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. 
I know who I am. And he made choices that caused him great harm and that made his life more difficult. But he didn't let other people define him. And we all have that problem, don't we? Do you realize it said, the verse says, when he had grown up? Peer pressure is a universal thing, but it's harder when you're young, isn't it? It's universal. And when you, get, when you get older, you don't have to deal with it as much because you just don't give a rip anymore, you know? When he had grown up, he, he chose that he was not going to be defined by others. And one choice that we can make that will greatly help predict the future that we will enjoy in 2024 and beyond is the choice not to be defined by other people. I am a son of the living God, an adopted son of the living God. That is, we hear a lot about our identity now, don't we? Well, how do you identify? How do you identify? First and foremost, when I'm thinking straight, I identify as a son of God, an adopted child of God. That identity is so much more important than me being a husband. That identity is so much more important than me being a father. That identity is so much more important than me being a pastor. And our problems come is when we get our identities all messed up. There's nothing wrong with being a husband. There's a lot of good in that. There's a lot of good in being a father. There's a lot in good in me being a brother. There's lots of good in different places that we may receive our identity from, but who are we first and foremost? Moses refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. Who am I? I just preached my mother's funeral about a month ago, right? And it was the easiest funeral I ever preached because I just read what she wrote in her Bible. Make, make it easy on the guy who preaches your funeral. Would you do that? Make it easy on him. And so I just read stuff mom had written in her Bible. And, and one thing that she wrote in her Bible was things I'm thankful for. And the first thing that she was thankful for was the eternal salvation that God had given her by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Second thing she would be thankful for was a husband who loved God more than he loved her. That's what she wrote. Do you understand that? I hope you do. Because mom knew that if dad loved God more than he loved her, everything in the marriage would be fine. Because loving God determines our choices. Or it, unless it's just some words you spout out that sounds good. Romans 12, 2 in a, in a modern translation says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. You feel that squeeze? You feel that squeeze from your girlfriends, ladies? You feel that squeeze from your guy friends, guys? You feel that squeeze? You feel that squeeze from the people you work with to somehow fit into the mold that the world tells us we're supposed to be in? 
I've told you before that I graduated from high school in 1976 and I've never gone back to high school reunion because I'm a far different person than I was in 1976. And if I go back to high school reunion, I'll feel the pressure to be squeezed back to that mold. And you know what? I'm human and I'm susceptible to give in to that pressure. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. When, when God pulled the Egyptians <clears throat> out of Egypt, he gave them a bunch of laws that they would have to live by. And, and they didn't know how to live. They were, they were slaves for 400 years. Everything was handed to them. They didn't know how to be a free people. They didn't know how to be a free people. They've been slaves for 400 years. And so God gives them all these boring things that we usually skip in Exodus and Leviticus. And they were just laws. This is how I want you to live. And one of those laws was in Exodus 23, verse 2. And it says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Peer pressure is just not something teens deal with. What, what choice will help define your future? What choice will help predict or create your future? Don't allow other people to define you. Where do you get your identity? What makes you feel good about yourself? And scripturally, that has to be that I'm an adopted son of the living God. I'm an adopted daughter of the living God. First and foremost. Doesn't mean I can't get any identity from the fact that I am Sue's husband and, and Christopher and Levi's father and the pastor of Xenia Nazarene. But what's overarching? What's overarching on all of that? Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul wrote, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God. We're not trying to please people, but God. How many pastors have gone down the wrong road because there's things they won't say in the pulpit because they're trying to please people? Now, why is all this important? How I see myself and where I get my identity. Because my identity determines my behavior. I've preached that to you before. How I feel about myself, how I see myself, how I view myself determines my behavior. Why does I constantly tell the kids that when I was a, a varsity basketball coach for 14 years, why did I tell them they needed to run on the basketball floor and they needed to look like they were going to beat that team whether they thought they could beat them or not? They need to play with confidence because identity determines behavior. The way you see yourself, the way you feel about yourself determines how you act and this book is all about how you act there's very little in this book about believing in Jesus 
Most of this book is about now that you believe in Jesus, this is how you are to live. Identity determines behavior. Paul got on the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, in John 12, 43, because he said they loved human praise more than praise from God. This is what they wanted. They, they, they wanted praise from everybody instead of praise from God. When I first started in the ministry and I was the pastor and the worship leader and the youth pastor and everything, we had a youth group of about six kids and I bought them all t-shirts and says, don't be a 1243. Because being a 1243 is the biggest problem for teenagers and biggest problem for us. People. Because especially teens get their identity from other people. And sometimes us adults do as well. Moses refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. He did not allow other people to define him. He says, I'm going to be who I was born to be, and that's a Hebrew, an Israelite. Chosen people of God. So I'm walking away from Egyptian royalty. He refused to allow other people define him. And a choice that we can make that will greatly predict the type of future that we will have is I will allow God to define me and not other people to define me. Because how many decisions do we make as individuals because other people want us to make that decision? John, John chapter 13 is, is where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. For the Passover, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2 says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Now listen, verse 3, listen. Jesus knew, that's a mind thing. Listen. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his control. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 4. So, he knew this, so, he got up and he washed the feet of the disciples. The Alpha and the Omega, the, 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 the King of all kings, the very creator of the universe, God in flesh, bent down and did the task of a servant. How could he do that? Because of, go back to verse 3. How could he do that? Because he knew, he knew, one more slide, he knew who he was. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew who he was. So he could stoop and do a lowly task. He knew who he was. I don't have time to get there. I preached it to you before. King David, it's in 2 Samuel, and King David, he, he lost his throne, and, 
His, his absolutely son took his throne from him, and then a few weeks later, he, he got it back, and now he was back in his rightful place as the king uh, of, of, uh, as the king of all of Israel, and he was back in his place, and his people said, hey, let me go kill those, those people that took the throne from us, his, his military people says. And David says, no, 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 no. And you, you can go look it up. I can't remember what verse it was. He says, don't you know, listen, don't you know that I know that I'm the king? You don't have to go out and, and, and prove to other people that I'm the king. I already know I'm the king. You don't have to go kill these people to show how much power I have. I know that I'm the king. When we know who we are, it determines our behavior. When we know who we are, it absolutely determines our behavior. This, this verse shook me up this week. Never read this verse in this way before. It's how powerful God's word is. How many times have I read Luke 2.52? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's be honest. We all want favor with man. We, we, we want people to like us. Let's be honest. And there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you got the order right. He grew in favor with God and with man. It's okay if I have favor with man as long as I have favor with God. And many times to get favor with man, I will compromise my relationship with God. Put me out of favor. Like the signing up for the $99 student thing. I could have done that. And you know what? I, I bet you I'd have got away with it but I wouldn't have had God's favor. I wouldn't have had God's favor. There's nothing wrong with having favor with me. And I, I think as Christians we should. And I think the Bible talks about that. But what's the order? What will you do to get favor with man? He grew in wisdom and stature. And he had favor with God. And it would be a good verse to put on your put on your bathroom mirror favor with God and man favor with God and man and, and, and if I have favor with God then everything I will do with man will be pleasing to God and won't be a problem favor with God and man favor with God and man my identity who do I want favor with Fer the Pharisees wanted the praise of men more than they wanted the praise of God who do I want favor with more than anybody else? It's a choice that will determine the rest of your life. And making that choice will largely create the future that you have. Oh, it, it, it won't keep you from getting prostate cancer. <laughs> it won't keep you from getting sick when you're 70 years old, 75 years old. But it's the overarching choice you can make so that you know God will direct your path and God will be with you wherever you go it's 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 the simple verse you learned as a kid if you were raised in church seek first seek first Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 seek first God's kingdom and everything else will take care of itself
If I signed up for the student thing, I'd have saved 50 bucks. Hallelujah. But I would have lost my promise that all things would go well with me because I would not have favor with God. I would have leaned on my own understanding. So we're talking about choices that we make and largely predict. Largely predict. We minister Kinsey to some certain type of person that's kind of on the lower income scale of Xenia. That's why we started the church, to reach those type of people. And I read their Facebook posts and I know what's headed for them in their life because of the way they're thinking. And unless a miracle of God intervenes and unless they humble themselves before the king of kings, they're going to make the same mistakes of their mothers and fathers. Same mistakes of their grandma and granddads. Because I can tell the way they're thinking. I can tell what brings them status and what they think is important in life. I can predict their future. Unless something happens like what happened to me on August 29th, 1993. Then I bent my knee to a sovereign God. And said, forgive me. The Israelites were about to go into the promised land, the land full of milk and honey. They were about to go, and God speaks these words to them through the prophet Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 30. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. God says, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. So they get get to the edge of the promised land. God says, it's going to be milk and honey over there if you make good choices. Here, I've said it before you right now. Life and death, blessings and curses. And he doesn't say, what will you choose? This father, God says, come on, child. I'm pulling for you. Choose life. Choose life and why should you choose life so that you and your children may live verse 20 says and that you would may love the Lord your God listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob (laughs) well gang I've taken you out of Egypt and gotten you through the wilderness now here it is you're on you're on the edge there's choices that you will make life and death you'll you'll choose to be blessed or you'll choose to be cursed choose life so that you and your children may live and that you will live many on many years in the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says the same thing to us in 2024. He really does. 2024 and all the years beyond it can be life and death 
can be blessings and curses. can be really good, can be life and blessings, or it could be death and curses. Choose life, God says. Choose life. Your choices largely will predict the future that you have. Now, you could hear this sermon and be an atheist and take from this the principle of reaping and sowing, and you can, on this earth, um, use that principle of sowing and reaping to your advantage as an atheist. Because that's just a law God has put into this universe for believer and unbeliever in life. That everything in this universe, you can be a Buddhist, you can be a Muslim, you, you can be a hardcore agnostic or atheist and still benefit from Galatians 6, 7. Because in this world, what you sow, you will reap. If I sow neglect in my vehicle and I refuse to put oil in it, I'm going to reap something. It's just a law God has put into this world. Atheists can benefit from it. Atheists can benefit from it. But they won't benefit eternally unless you make the choice for Jesus in your life. And what, what good is it to have the good life if you die and go to hell? What is it to to do some things and, and to understand this reaping and sowing and sow good things. And what good is it? Temporally. And there's no eternal. This is an eternal choice. This is an eternal choice. And this choice basically comes down to choosing whether you choose to stand in front of God on your own righteousness or on God's righteousness provided in Jesus Christ. That's the choice. Because every single man and woman, boy and girl, of every single stripe in religion, when they stand before God, there's only two choices. Are you standing before me in your own righteousness of all the good things you've done, or are you standing before me clothed in the righteousness of Christ? It's the only, that's the only way. There's only two ways there. And so this is the eternal choice. Have you made it? Really? Our servers are coming to the table. The Bible says that Jesus died for you. The sinless one took on your sin, so you won't have to die. And he exchange gives you his righteousness. So when you stand before God, you stand before him not in your own sins, but in the righteousness of Christ. And that it comes from faith in him, belief in him. Have you made that choice to believe? Father, this world is just a bunch of choices. And I stand before these people today just as the sum total of all the choices I've made in my life. And I pray that you'd help somebody, some people, that, either, that are either right here in this sanctuary or listening online, make the eternal choice today. 
And Father, we know after they make that choice, there, there will be millions of other choices to make. But you'll help them with those. You'll lead them through those. You'll direct them through those choices. And when they make a poor one, they'll ask for forgiveness and they'll get a new start and they'll go on. But I pray that someone today makes the eternal choice of choosing Jesus so we won't stand clothed in our own goodness. We'll stand clothed in the goodness of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen and amen.